0: Amen, have a seat. Good morning. good morning. Come on, I know you got more energy than that. Come on, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. We're excited you're here, and we're gonna start off with a little bit of a quiz, all right, to get everybody involved, because when I was a kid growing up watching TV, I and I'm still this, in this way, I always enjoyed watching shows that were, were sitcoms that were revolving around families. Anybody else kind of watch sitcoms revolving around families? Okay, because what you find out, honestly, is that, that that probably is a good picture of other families, which means mine's not the only messed up family in the world, right? So I kind of enjoy realizing maybe there's a family worse than mine, right? So I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mention some families, and I'm going to tell you their last name on sitcoms, and you're going to tell me what show they came from, all right? So we can all get on the same page. And we're going to start with a super easy one. You ready? Here we go. The Dukes. What show is that? Okay, there's a generation like, I don't know, I don't know. Shame on you, right? Dukes has. Okay, what about this one? This is this maybe one of my favorites is The Cunninghams. Happy days. All right. Some are like, oh, yeah. Okay, now this one, I don't know how many will get this, but this is a good one. The Winslows. Do you remember? What was the kid that said, did I do that? What show was that? Family Matters. There you go. There you go. Family Matters, right? Now, I loved watching all those shows, but here's the thing I loved most about family sitcom television was this, is that for the first 24 minutes of every 30-minute episode was all about a problem, right? I mean, something had happened, and it was all going to spin out, and you were left there going, oh my gosh, how is it going to get resolved? And somehow, miraculously, in the last six minutes of the episode, it all got resolved, and everything was okay, and they were going to live to last another week, right? And that's how every sitcom was but the thing that i loved about those was this is that no matter how bad a situation got and let's be honest some of those sitcoms really did cover maybe some tough topics at different times right i mean they got into some topics like oh that's kind of that's kind of socially awkward or taboo and and they got into them but here's what i loved about all those sitcoms it was this no matter how 24 to 25 minutes went at the end of the show Everybody, no matter what family member you were, whether you were ostracized or left out, at the end of the day, they all had each other's back, didn't they? At the end of the day, they were a family. It didn't matter what struggles they had. It didn't matter what they went through. At the end of the day, they were all family, and none of them were going to be left doing life alone, right? And I love that. And here's why I love that. Because that's the same thing that God wants for us. You know, we've been talking about for like five weeks now for something more, that God has something more for us, more than just a sense of existence of life, of just survival, that if you don't know Christ, that something more he has for you is eternal life with his son Jesus, that he's he's created you for more than just a humdrum mediocre life. And if you don't know Christ, he wants you to have eternal life. But if you're like me and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has more for us than just eternal life. What he has for us is abundant life. He wants us to experience life in a way like we can't even imagine. That's what he has for us. And when I think about these sitcoms, I'm just reminded of those families get it. They get that that they're there to not do life alone, but they've got people that love and care about them. And I'm just telling you, that's what God wants for us. He wants all of us to be Connected. George Barna did a sati- uh, poll many, many years ago, and like five or six years ago, and here's what he found out. Here was the question. You ready? What is the greatest need of every human being? That was the question. What's your greatest need? You know what the answer was? It wasn't financial security. It wasn't a spouse. Here's what it was. I need to belong. That was it. That people want to. belong and listen to me that's what god wants for us he wants us to be connected he wants us to be part of a family he wants us to be part of a community right in fact, if you were to go back, and don't look there right now, but if you were to go back to John chapter 17, it's one of the most beautiful prayers that Jesus ever prayed. Every prayer he prayed was beautiful, let's be honest. But, but this was awesome because when Jesus prayed in John 17, he prayed for what was about to happen, which was the cross where he was headed to. He prayed for his disciples, but then he closes out his prayer in John 17, praying for us, praying for those that were going to come. And you know what he prayed? And I love it. He prayed this, that, Lord, Father, may they be as one as we are one. Now, he's talking about unity in mission, but he's also talking about community. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were in community together, and they were unified in their mission. He said, that's what I pray for believers that are coming, that they'll be unified in the mission that I'm going to give them, which is go and make disciples, but I also want them to be a community together. I want them to be one as we are one. See, God wants us to be a community together. And I just know this from talking to so many different peoples over the course of a lot of years of ministry, that often one of the reasons that many people feel like life is imploding is because they've never been connected. You and I both know people that when you talk to them, they just feel like life is just collapsing, doesn't it? That the situations and circumstances, everything is just imploding. Well, can I tell you what typically I find out when you have conversations with those people is this, is that they feel like life's imploding because they have nobody to do life with. They have nobody to be there to hold them up. Do You remember the story of Moses when he's, when he's holding up the staff and, and when, when he's holding up the staff, Israel's winning the war and then he gets tired and the arms come down and Israel loses the war and they literally took two guys and went over and helped hold Moses' arms up so they would win the war. Do You remember that story? I mean, that's what it means to be in community is that other people come around you and hold you up, pick you up and care for you. And that's what God wants from us. And some of us, quite honestly, are settling for so much less than that. And I just want you to know this. God never designed you to do life alone. He never did. Never. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to kind of get an idea that God wants us to be in a sense of community. He wants us to be connected to other believers. And so we're going to take just a few minutes here, and, and we're going to watch this video real fast. And I want you to watch this, and I'm going to come back, and we're going to kind of dive into what is the core of true biblical community. So watch this video with me.
1: So my name is Christy, and my story is that I came here to Cross Life Church in 2016 looking for a church. Uh, And I came for a few months, and I tried everything, but I I never really made an effort to get plugged in. I never made an effort to find community. I just attended church just as I've been taught. So right after Hurricane Irma, I went up and down here from Orlando, down to Key West, because my parents had a house there where I grew up. Uh, But the house was really damaged, so I went to try to do as much as I could to help them. At the end of summer last year of 2017, I came back to church and tried Cross Life Church and sought community with intention. Um, I got plugged into a small group, and they're the greatest bunch of people I ever met. Um, People my age, people who I could relate to, people who could not only see what was ahead of me in life... um, but speak clearly to me from a point that we all could communicate with, which is the Bible and which is with God, Uh, which I have never had anything like that before. I've been on rugby teams, I've been in marching bands, high school bands, uh, even other worship teams, and nothing was quite like this. In that time, my dad was very, very ill, and he went to the hospital one day and got exam results back that they had stage four cancer and it it metastasized to his blood, bones, and lymph nodes. The first people I told were not my best friends, not my old church group, it was my small group um, because I knew they would pray for me. I knew that they had been with me on this journey. And in January 23rd of 2018, it was a Tuesday night, and I was that small group and I got a call from my mother and I went into the other room to take the call, knowing what she was gonna to say to me. And it was a call that, you know, my father had passed. And I remember opening the door, stepping into a hallway, trying to be composed, and immediately they all knew. And I just looked at my friend, and she just asked me, and I nodded, and she gave me a big hug, and I broke down in really ugly tears. <laughs> Uh, But not knowing that God had ordained this, God had given us a divine appointment that this is where I was meant to be when I had this news because it was among the most trusted group of people um, I had ever met. So my words for anyone coming to a church, especially one of this size, is to get plugged in, to find a small group whether it be of your age or your life stage or just a small group that means Sunday mornings, uh, find one because these are people to do life with um, for the highs and the lows. Just get connected. Find a small group. There's one out there for you. I'm positive of that.
0: I hope when you watch that, what you say is, man, I want that. Now, I can just tell you from personal experience about this coming May will be three years. My dad passed away. He had Alzheimer's, and it it was just an interesting road But I'm going to tell you, there was a lot of people that loved on my family, but it was my community of small group of men, the eight of them that I met with every Monday night that were there for me. And I hope when you watch that video, there's a part of you go, I want that. I want to be part of a group where I feel connected because, listen, whether you agree or disagree with a lot of what we may talk about at times, here's what I know about all of us. We all have a need to belong. All of us want to belong. All of us want to be connected. All of us want people that we can gather around that can do life with us. That is true of all of us because I know that because Scripture is clear that God created us for community. And so when you watch that, I hope you're like, you know what, I truly want something because when you watch the video, here's what I heard, a couple things. First of all, she used the word intentional. Did you pick up on that? That people were intentional. And the second thing she said was that this wasn't just a group. And she lists some groups. I was in a band group. I was in another church group. But she said this was a community. And I'm telling you, we don't want to be a group. We want to be a community of believers that's living and loving one another. And so what I want to do today, if you really say, Doug, that's so much what I want. And listen, this passage we're going to go today, it fires me up. And I know you're probably thinking, you get fired about everything. I do because I'm telling you, when I read this passage, I go, this is what I want us to be. This is Cross Life East. I mean, we read this passage, I go, this is exactly my heartbeat. This is what I want us to be, how I want us to operate, and I want us to see God do the things that he does in Acts chapter 2. So today, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And today we're going to take a look at what is the core of true biblical community. When we talk about community, for many of us, that's kind of that abstract terminology. And so I want to kind of give some handles to it. I want us to understand what is biblical community and what is at the core. Because listen, it's not just a group. It's not a fraternity or sorority. It's not. It's not just a group to hang out with. A community has some real important virtues to them, and so what is the core of biblical community? So I'm going to ask you to do this with me. Everybody stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and if you don't have a Bible, this will be on the screen. It says this, and they, meaning the believers there, or the disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and an all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles and all who believed together and had all things in what in common and they were setting their, selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, the proceeds to all, to any that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number... Day by day, those that were saved. Let's pray. God, I love you, I thank you, and I pray you would blow us away today with this passage. In your name we pray, amen. Have a seat, have a seat. Now listen, when we think about the core of biblical community, there's really two core elements, and here's the first one. They had a common foundation. They had a common foundation. Now look with me back in verse 42. It says this, and they, talking about the early believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. It says they were devoted, meaning there were some foundational things the early church believers were devoted to. In fact, in this passage, he lists two things that believers were devoted to. Here's the first one, the apostles' teachings. One of the first things these early believers were devoted to were the teachings of the apostles. Now many people try to say, well, what were the apostles' teachings? What were they teaching? Well, look, you can read the book of Acts and find that out. I mean, you can read all the way through the book of Acts. Here's what they were teaching. They were teaching about the goodness of God. They were teaching about the death, the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, if you were to jump over to Acts 17, Paul is standing there in this place called Athens, which was the cultural center of the world, and he's hanging out waiting on Silas, a teammate, to come with him, and they were going to go share the gospel. And as he's waiting there in Athens, he sees all this ungodly idolatry going on. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul just walks up and says, hey, by the way, I would like to talk to you about this God that you worship that you don't know. And he just starts talking about God. He starts talking about the Creator God, the goodness of God, what God has done. He eventually gets to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, you look at Peter as he was going out and preaching and was told, You can no longer preach the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And what did Peter say? Is it better for me to obey you or better for me to obey God? I'm going to go with God. And so Peter keeps preaching. I mean, so we know what the apostles' teachings were. It was them talking and preaching about and teaching about the God that they loved and served, but also the person and the work of Jesus. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I would love to have been there in the first century to hear Peter talk about Jesus, wouldn't you? To talk about how he was when nobody else was around, which was very few times because always the crowd followed him. I would have loved to have seen that. And so these early believers, when they would gather together, one of the things they were devoted to. Now, devotion does not mean they were just physically present, okay? It doesn't mean they were just there. It means they were devoted. They were tuned in. They were disciplined. They were totally committed to the teachings the apostles had for them. Why? Because these teachings weren't from the apostles' personal opinion. It was about the work of Jesus and what he'd done for them. And I want to say this to you, being devoted to them means that these teachings were foundational for them. It means that these teachings were why they ever got together. I mean, think about it. If they didn't have teachings about the goodness of God or what God had done or or Jesus and the works of Christ and the cross of Christ, I mean, it would have just been a hangout time, wouldn't it? Hey, let's just get together because we used to follow this guy and he was a good guy and he healed some people, but that's about it. I mean, that would be a boring situation. I mean, how many people are going to show up for that? Not very many. But these teachings of Jesus, these teachings about his life, his miracles, his sinlessness, his death, and his resurrection, these people were there and they were devoted. It's why they existed. Because what was taught is what gave them existence. Listen, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, we would have no reason to be here this morning. Did you know that? If Jesus had not risen from the dead, he would have been a liar. I know that you're like, I'm offended by that. Well, just read the Bible. I mean, Jesus said, just as the Son of Man was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. And he talks about the temple being torn down and three days later being raised. He's talking about his resurrection. If Jesus had not come back from the dead, he would have been a liar. Maybe a prophet, maybe a decent teacher, but ultimately a liar. But he didn't lie. He came back from the dead. And these teachings of these apostles is why they existed talking about Jesus, these teachings were why they came together. It wasn't about a band. It wasn't about a person. It was about the work of Jesus Christ himself. It wasn't because they wanted to hang out with Peter. It's because Jesus was the message. These teachings were the very wisdom for how they did life. Now, listen to me. These teachings that they got from the apostles shaped the direction of how they were going to live. Now, here's why I'm laboring this point. They were totally devoted to the apostles' teachings. Why? Because they learned more about who Jesus was, what he had done for them, and it shaped how they lived their life. And what I want to say to us this morning is we need to be on board with what they did. We need to have the same devotion to this book and to these words of God that they were. We needed to be devoted to the teachings of the Bible. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. You're going to sick of me saying it because it's true. This book is the sole authority for how we live our life. If you want to know the heart of God, the mind of God, the will of God, it is in here. Listen to this in 2 Timothy 3.16. Just listen to this. Don't turn there. Just listen. Here's what God says about his own word. All scripture, everybody say all. Guess what all means. Yeah, you're so smart today. All right, here we go. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now listen, I don't know if you thought about this. You are holding the very breath of God if you have a Bible in your hand right now. You're holding the very breath of God. God spoke through 66, or 66 books and over 40 writers for this. This is the breath of God, and it says this. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable, meaning it is useful, it is necessary for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipping you to do every good work. Now, when you read that verse, do you think that means that this book is pretty important to us? Come on, do you think it's pretty important to us? Okay, I'm not convinced by everybody. Do you think it's important to us? Amen. It is. This isn't just a good book. This just isn't the world's bestseller. This is the breath of God that we need to be devoted to, the so authority for how we live our lives, how we treat people. Listen, all the time I have people ask me questions like, you know, I've got this friend, and they've gone through this, and something's going on, and I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to confront them. And they usually, when I was a youth pastor, Elijah, here's usually what the teenagers would say. Would you please go talk to them for me? And I would say, no, no. But I would take them to Matthew 18. Because in Matthew 18, Jesus tells us exactly how to confront somebody. And with the heart, we're to confront somebody. And if they don't come back to the faith, what we're supposed to do, the next step. I mean, this book tells us how we're to live our lives, and we must be devoted to it just like they were. Listen, we need to be devoted to it personally. When you have your personal time alone with the Lord, you need to be devoted to the teachings of Scripture, reading the Bible and digesting it, not reading like six chapters and go, wow, I read the Bible today. Read like one or two verses and go, God, what is the meaning of this? And let it digest into your heart and to your mind. But we also need to be devoted to this corporately. Here's what I mean. We're doing it right now. I can make you a promise, all right? You ready? No one that ever stands on this stage or wherever we land will ever teach anything other than the truth of Scripture because we need it, right? It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? It cuts, it hurts, it heals, it convicts, it does everything. And it's profitable as we just read. And that's what we're doing today. Don't you, if, you're, if you're that first-time guest today or you're someone has been checking out churches, man, we're so glad you're here today. But listen to me, don't you ever land in a church that doesn't teach this, God may not want you here, but he doesn't want you there either. I promise you that. Okay? This is the sole authority of how we live lives. We need to be devoted to it corporately. Also, that's why small groups is important. They're devoted to the teaching of Scripture. They're devoted to Bible study and i want you to hear me say this because i love sunday morning worship i do i love the singing i love the worship i love hearing people worship there's something about a community of believers coming together you can't get by yourself i mean there's something dynamic about it but listen to me true biblical discipleship doesn't happen in rows it happens in circles small groups because that's when you're really talking about life that's where you're doing life together that's where you're sharing what's going on in your marriage, what's going on with your relationship with your kids, what's going on with your fi- I mean, That's where you share your heart. And I'm just telling you, these early disciples, one of the common foundations for them was that they were, uh, they were totally devoted to the apostles' teaching. We must be devoted as well. The second thing they were devoted to was fellowship. Look at verse 42 again. It says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. He says they were devoted to fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship, and you probably already know this, is the word koinonia. And it means a joint partnership. It literally carries the idea that when someone is in fellowship, that they are intentionally attaching or yoking themselves with another believer. Now, you probably already know this too, but back in this first century, that if you were a farmer, which many people were, they would have, you know, oxes. And typically, you would take a young, dumb ox, someone that was just kind of new and not know what they were doing, and you would yoke them to a more mature, very smart ox. And by virtue, of you're yoking them together. Have you ever seen the ox yoke? You know what I'm talking about. And it goes around both their necks, and they're kind of locked into it. And they have to work in tandem, right? So when the young ox doesn't want to do the right thing, the older ox and the stronger ox kind of jerks it back into line. And they're attached together. Now, the beauty of them being attached together is they're doing this thing together. And at the same token, the young and mature ox is learning from the older and the mature one, the more mature. And so the idea of fellowship is the idea of a joint partnership. It's the idea that we are literally, and the biblical fellowship is literally attaching ourselves to someone else or other people who have a common faith in Jesus. That's biblical fellowship. When I intentionally attach myself, whether it be through a small group, whether it be through an accountability partner, when I intentionally attach myself with another believer of common faith. Now, here's why I say that. You're like, why did you say another believer with common faith? Because there are a lot of believers who try to attach themselves to non-believers and ask non-believers for godly wisdom. But listen to me, if they don't know God, how are they gonna give you godly wisdom? Right? So, Biblical fellowship is intentionally attaching ourselves with other believers, common faith in Jesus. And that's why small groups are so important. That's what we do every week in small groups, whether it meets on campus or off campus, or the more that we're going to begin developing. I mean, that's what they're all about, is intentionally attaching ourselves with other people of like faith in Christ. Now, Luke goes on to tell us how we fellowship. He says, through the breaking of bread and through the prayers. Now, the breaking of bread is kind of one of those ambiguous phrases in the Greek, and it literally means on one hand they would come together and they would take the Lord's Supper together. They would take communion together. Early believers, you see that in 1 Corinthians. Paul addresses that, that that part of fellowship for them wasn't just coming to be together. There were some activities as well, and one way they did it it was breaking bread. They would actually take the Lord's Supper together. We did that a couple weeks ago. But it also meant that they would have a meal together. Now think about it, when you have a meal with somebody, isn't that really where you kind of talk about life? Right? Isn't that where you kind of talk about your kids, your background, where you've been, what you've been doing? I mean, when you have a meal with somebody, you're actually kind of breaking down some barriers. And what, what we're learning here is that what Luke told us, that wrote the book of Acts, is that when these believers come together, they, they were literally not just, they were not just fellowshipping by hanging out, they were breaking bread. They were having communion, celebrating that, but they were also having a meal together. They were enjoying each other's life. And then he said, and they were committed to the prayers. In other words, they approached the throne of God together. They came together, and they just prayed, and they just cried out to God. Now, I want to tell you something. That's devotion, isn't it? Now, you say, well, you know what, Doug? You know, that was, that, you know, Acts 2, I've heard it all my life. But listen to me. This was a church that was under persecution, right? Come on, you're with me. These early believers, were they under persecution? Yes, the Roman government hated what they stood for. In fact, if you go back to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, there was a lot of confusion there and a lot of people heads tied to roll because what happened? I mean, this was a state of chaos and these early believers were devoted. I mean, they, they had a common foundation. Here it was. They were devoted to the teachings of the apostles. They were devoted to fellowship, to being together, to breaking bread, to having a meal, and to praying together. And we need to have that same heartbeat. We need to have the same heartbeat that when we come together that we are committed to a common foundation. You know why? Our spiritual health depends on it. The health of our church depends on it. Listen, it is inexcusable for a believer to spend more time linking arms with a non-believer than it is a believer. It's inexcusable. It's inexcusable for a believer to view a lack of community as something that's not a big deal or is not necessary. Now let me tell you why it's inexcusable. Because when we miss out on biblical fellowship, here's what we miss out on. We miss out on iron sharpening iron. We miss that. Because I'm going to tell you something. The short time that I've been here, I've got to hear so many stories. And the stories I'm hearing has strengthened my faith. The stories, the journeys I hear so many of you have gone through, it has strengthened me. And when we don't commit to biblical fellowship and biblical community, we are missing out on ironing, sharpening iron. And you know what else we're missing out? We're missing out here God, how God's working in somebody else's life. I mean, if we had chance today, and we don't, for everybody to tell their story how God is working, how encouraged you think we would be if we left here today? Man, we didn't blow our minds to see what God is up to. Sure it would. And when we are not committed to biblical community and biblical fellowship, we miss what God is up to in the lives of others. And we are missing a key ingredient to our spiritual growth. Why? Because we need each other. In fact, look at your neighbor right now and say, You need me. Come on, come on, say it like you mean it. Say it like you mean it. Now look back at the neighbor and go, I need you. Some of you are more hesitant on the last one, right? You're like, I don't know, right? But we do, we need each other. Now listen, here's what I want you to kind of drill down. Look with me in verse 43. Here is the result of this common foundation this early church had, this common foundation of the teachings of the apostles and of fellowship, the things they were devoted to. Look at the result of what happened to this common foundation, verse 43. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, let me tell you what happened here. God just showed up they were coming together and they were listening to the teachings, they were talking about Jesus and what Jesus had done for them and they were breaking bread and they were having Lord's Supper, having a meal together and they were crying out to the throne of God together and God just showed up and God blew them away and God totally knocked them off their feet. That's what happened. Because when God shows up, God does what only God can do which is usually and always miraculous, right? And it says awe came over every soul. You know what awe is? it's reverence, it's overwhelming. When's the last time you were in awe of God? Come on, when was the last time you were so overwhelmed with the greatness of God you just didn't know what to say? Don't you want that? See, that's what they had, and that's what I want us to have, an awe and a reverence and a overwhelming of God in our lives and in our souls. That's what they experienced. Why? Because they had a common foundation. Let me tell you a second thing that was core to the biblical community. It wasn't just a common foundation. It was a common attitude. Write that down, a common attitude. And this is why I I love this passage. Look with me in verse 45. It says this. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all and any that had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with a glad and generous hearts, praising God. Now listen, they had a common attitude. You know what the attitude was? They met each other's physical needs. Now think about it. It says in verse 45 that they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing them proceeds to everyone that had need. Now just think about that. Isn't that just a little bit crazy? They were coming together, they are persecuted, and they had this common foundation, and we're listening to apostles' teachings, and we're fellowshipping, we're breaking bread, and we're taking communion, and we're having a meal, and we're praying, and, and then they were, after the prayer time, I guess, we're like, well, who's got a need? Well, we got a need. Well, I've got a need. Well, they've got a need, and they just started selling stuff because the needs of the people were greater than the possessions that they had. Listen, that's a church that truly cares for one another, Right? Now, we're not gonna check you on the way out and go, do you have a car that you want to sell? I mean, we're not gonna do that kind of stuff, all right? But my point is this, is that we need to be so sensitive to the needs of people around us because we care about people. I think one of the greatest struggles as a believer is sometimes, even on a good note, I'm trying to get so wrapped up in my pursuit of God that I become ignorant to the people that are around me. I become blinded. Now, should I not pursue God? Absolutely I should. But the more I pursue God, the wider my eyes ought to get. Even when you're walking through Walmart, our Publix, and everybody in front of you is dumber than a stump, and nobody knows how to check out, nobody knows how to count 10 items or less, I mean, even when the situation is terrible, you know what I'm talking about, and if you're not laughing, you're that person, I'm coming after you later, right? <laughs> I'm coming after you with my cart, right? So, I mean, even, even in that moment, do we care about people? And am I just talking about, oh, those poor people? Poor so god love them i'm not talking about that i'm talking about is my heart wrecked for them does my heart break for people their heart did they had a common attitude and the attitude was they truly cared for one another they cared so much they were willing to sell everything they had to make sure everybody's need was met can i just tell you something look at me real quick everybody look at me real quick here listen you know something's true there are people in this room right now that have needs And what are we going to do about that? Well, Doug, you know, I got needs too. Yeah. But I'm talking about some real needs. There's some people in this room that have some real needs. And as the body of Christ, we're going to have to step it up. We're going to have to be willing to be inconvenienced. We're gonna to have to be willing to get in the dirt with some people sometimes and do things we never thought we would do or give things we never thought we would give just because we love and truly care about one another. If you think about it, some of you are like, well, Doug, you're pushing back. You're like, well, Doug, you know what? I don't know, you're maybe asking a little much for me. Well, think about this. Let's put it in perspective. Was there a moment when Jesus, as he was crawling onto the cross, goes, well, maybe not? <laughs> Did he? Or was he like, there's no sacrifice too big to reconcile these lost people back to, my, to me. Shouldn't we have that same heart? Oh yeah, we should because that's why Paul said we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus who humbled himself and took on the very nature of a servant and we should have that same attitude, right? There are people in this room that have needs and we're gonna talk about that at the end today. And we need to meet them. They truly cared about one another. And listen to this, verse 46. And it says, and with glad and generous hearts, they began to praise God. In other words, they were just joyful being around each other. Nobody likes a Debbie Downer. Nobody. Right? If you're a Debbie Downer, please don't talk to me before I preach. Please don't come up to me and want to bend my ear before I preach. You know why? Because nobody likes a Debbie Downer. We like to be joyful. Listen, this early church, even when there was tension, it didn't tear them apart. Do you think there was tension in the first church when they got together under persecution? Do you think there were some tense moments for them? Come on, do you think there were some tense moments? Hey, the Roman government's out to kill you, by the way. Yeah, there's some tense moments. But it says when they got together, there was joy, there was generosity, there was a glad spirit about them. Now, I want you to notice with me in verse 47 the result of this common attitude. They had a common foundation, a common attitude, but look at the result of this common attitude. This is where we're going to wrap it up this morning. He says this, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the numbers day by day those who were being saved. Here was the result of this common attitude. A lost, listen, a lost world took notice. Did you pick up on that? And gaining favor with All people, meaning a lost world, began to notice what this first century church was doing. How awesome would it be if our lost world around us, the people that maybe some people that live in Cypress Lakes or some people live in Wedgefield, the people that live over in this area, what would happen if we were so loving our people in this body and we were so loving our community that a lost world began to stand up and take notice that there's something different about this community of believers? How awesome would that be? I'm like, I don't know how awesome would that be? Would that be awesome to go? You know, not because we're trying to get a name for ourselves, but Jesus said this way: in Matthew five, may you do your good works in such a way that when people see your good works, they praise your Father in heaven. Right? We do everything because we're trying to draw attention to who? Elijah? Nope. Doug? Nope. Patrick? Absolutely not. We're tr- especially not Patrick. We're trying to draw <laughs> attention. We're trying to draw attention to who? To Jesus, right? when I read this passage, I realize when he says, man, that they found favor, that a lost world goes, those people love each other. Look what they're doing. Now listen, I've been in church a long time, not as many as much as some of you in the room, but I've been in church for a lot of, almost all my life. And I'm saying one of the greatest tragedies in church life has been this, when I see people tear each other up with inside the church. And people outside the church, guess what? I don't want that. Man, you know that person I work with that goes to Cross off East that that says she loves Jesus, he says he loves Jesus, and all they want to do is talk about that person that goes to church with them and how much annoying they are, how much a nuisance they are, and how many life issues. I mean, man, if if the gossip is what it looks like, man, I don't want that stuff. But what if the flip was true? What if your coworkers, if I could get your coworkers in here today, what would they say about you? Would they say that, man, you live your life in such a way that they want what you've got? See, this early church, despite opposition, despite persecution, they had a common attitude, and here it was. They truly loved one another, and the outside world took notice. And guess what God did? He increased their numbers day by day. He blessed them, right? He blessed them. Now, listen, if we're we're going to experience biblical community, we have to have the same two things they have. We have to have a common foundation. We have to devote ourselves to the teachings of scripture. We have to devote ourselves to fellowship. We have to have a common attitude and that common attitude is this, that we truly love one another. Not just in words, but in actions. We have to truly love one another because when I come to this book and when I read the story, listen, that's what I want for us. I want God to show up. I want God to show out, and I want God to bless us to the point where we can't handle all this blessing. I mean, I want God to so blow our mind and so just blow this thing off the roof with with people being saved and people being baptized and people going, I want what they've got. I want God to show up in such an amazing way, but it starts with us making a commitment and devotion to biblical, biblical community and foundation and a common attitude. It's where it starts. So here's what I'm going to ask you. If you're a follower of Jesus today, and you understand that you were not designed to do life alone, and you understand that you were designed to biblical community, that's what God wants from you, and you understand that means I need to have a devotion to scripture, I need to be devoted to fellowship, like small groups, and and linking arms with other believers, and I need to have a devotion to really loving people, here's my question for you. Which one of those three do you fall short in? Which one of those three do you fall short in? Maybe you're not quite as devoted to this as you ought to be. Maybe for some of you, you have to wipe the dust off every week before you bring it. Some of you, maybe the binding still makes, when you open it up. (laughs) Maybe some of you just read and go, man, I just don't get it. And none of those excuses are okay. See, when we miss out on this, I don't think God gets mad at us. I think God just goes, you know what, I miss my time with you today. I miss speaking into your life today. And I'm just telling you, maybe some of you, this is where you fall short. And in just a minute when we pray, I'm going to ask you as we do every week to meet me at the altar and just say, Lord, I'm committing to be devoted to your word, not just to read it, but to live it. Not just to read it, not just be hearer of the word, but to be a doer. So when I read it, as tough as it is, God, I'm committing to living this in my life. And so if you're a believer and you fall short in that area, I'm gonna ask you as soon as they start that first note of this first song that you just come and you pray with me. Maybe where you fall short is fellowship. Maybe you're that person that goes, you know what, I just don't think it's necessary to be in a group with other believers and like a small group because not everybody needs to know my junk. Okay. But your life will implode. And you'll look around and you'll feel like nobody's there. And I'm just telling you, even as a pastor, I had a group of eight men in my last church that held me accountable. A group of eight men that loved me and cared for me and walked the journey. Grown men would hug me, cry with me when my dad died. And I love those men like I love my own family. And you can say that you don't need that, but you do. And maybe you're here today, and you're not committed to a small group. And I just want you to come and just pray, say, "Lord, I need to commit, to get connected." Before I lead to the after baptism, I need to go to the connections table, and I need to find out what small groups we have, and I need to get plugged in because I need community. Now, will I have to be vulnerable? Yeah, and I know that stinks, but you know what? When you're vulnerable in a group like that, it never will come back void. You will always be blessed. Or maybe you're here today, and where you're struggling, where you're falling short is, you got the spiritual blinders on. And you're not seeing people and caring for people and loving people. In fact, the story of the Good Samaritan in John's Gospel, you probably read it before. The, 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 the good, well, in Luke's Gospel, the Good Samaritan were walking by, and you know the story. And over and over again in the story it says, and uh, the, the, the Good Samaritan saw the person beaten half-death. And he saw him, and he did this, but he saw him. Over and over again, like six different times it says the word saw, which means this Good Samaritan didn't just take note, but truly saw the need. Do we see the needs of people around us? Not you coming to me and go, hey, Doug, I know five people that got a need. Can you go take care of that? I know I'm talking about you seeing the need. Because guess what? You are the church, right? When you see the need, you're being the church. When you meet the need, you're being the church. And maybe you're here today and that's an area where you're falling short. If you're a believer and you fall short in any of those areas, I just want you to join me today at the altar and just pray and say, Lord, I just need you. I'm committing to your scripture. I'm committing to being in fellowship in small groups. I'm committing to see people. Lord, just open my eyes and I'm committing to do what you called me to do. If you fall short, would you join me in doing that? But there's another group of people here today. Maybe you're a believer and you're the person I mentioned about 20 minutes ago who has a need I'm going to ask it, when I pray in just a minute, if I get a couple deacons and maybe their wives with them, maybe you feel more comfortable praying with the wife, that'd be fine, women and guys pray with the men or whatever, I don't care, but maybe you've got a real need, and you don't have to tell them what the need is, but you just need prayer this morning. I'm going to ask you to have courage to go find those deacons and wives and let them pray over you, okay? And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, listen, when you read Acts chapter 2, here's all I can say to you, you're missing a whole lot. You're missing blessing, you're missing connection, you're missing the very thing that God wants you to be a part of and your first step is giving him your heart and your life and putting your faith in him. And if you've never done that, I'm gonna be standing right there and would love to tell you more about it. So I'm gonna ask everybody stand with me. Everybody stand up if you would. Everybody stand up, every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want us just to pray together today. And if you're that believer and you just were honestly say, you know what, man, I, I am truly, Doug, I am truly falling short in some areas, would you have courage just to come forward and kneel and pray? If you can, some of you can't do that, and that's great. I understand that. Stay right where you're at. But if you're physically able, I challenge you to do that. If you have a need, I'm going to ask our deacons. If, you, if your deacons are here, if it's just kind of find a spot in the room. And if your wives are with you, they would be great to go with you right now. Just go ahead and make that move if you would. And if not, just find a space. It doesn't matter. Maybe you just need prayer over you. You want somebody to pray with you because you've got a real need in your life. In just a minute, would you slide out and go do that? Or if you've never trusted Jesus today, would today be the day that you say yes to him? God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for all that you do. But God, as I look at Acts chapter two, I am so reminded that this first century church, when they were devoted, they weren't just a group of people that met weekly. They were a community of believers that were committed and devoted to your word. They were committed and devoted to biblical koinonia and fellowship and being together and, and doing life with each other. And they were devoted to meeting the needs of people around them. Lord, that is the church. And I want that to be us. But God, I want to be us because I want us to make a difference. And, and I want you to do what you did in Acts chapter 2. I want you to show up today. I want you to show out today. I want you to blow our minds. May we, may we leave here in more awe of you than we've ever been in our life. But God, I want the outside world to know if there's something different about this group of believers. There's something different about us because of our genuine love for them and our love for each other. So God, would you just break us today? If we're a believer and we are falling short in one of those areas, would you just break our hearts and may we confess that to you today. May we get on our knees at an altar and just cry out to you and make a new commitment to you. But God, I pray for those today that are hurting, that have some real needs. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational, maybe just emotional. I don't know what those are, but you do. Would they just come to you today the Lord and say, Lord, I need you, I need a touch from you. And they'll find somebody to pray with them. Or maybe the person here today, Lord, that doesn't know you. That as I've talked about biblical community and we've looked at through the first century church, they go, man, I am missing out. I want that. God, help them take the first step to that today, which is a personal relationship with you. Lord, we love you. We need you. We need you in this hour. We need you in this moment. Would you just speak to our hearts? Move in us today. For it's your son's name we pray. Amen, amen. If you need to pray, just come do it right now. If you need somebody to pray over you, just step out and do it right now. Don't wait till we get to the end of the song. Just make a move right now. If you need to know Christ as your Savior, I'm gonna be standing right there and would love to tell you more about him. Let's worship together and move as God would lead us to move.